Off the Record, the weekly KOTO public affairs show that offers you, the listener, an opportunity to hear in-depth conversations on community topics and issues that matter. As always, you are encouraged to join the conversation by calling 728-4333. Now here's your host. Good evening, KOTO listeners. You are tuned in to Off the Record on KOTO. This is Julia Caulfield from the news team. And I am joined by three folks who know the Telluride Ski Resort very well. We have Carson Taylor, who's the director of Mountain Sales. Sako, who has been a ski patroller for 50 years. Were you day one? No, the first year I was really on the ski patrol. I was, we had a trail crew. And I was on the trail crew, and the next year I got on the patrol. So this is my 50th year of patrolling. But I've been working for Telski for 51 years. Amazing. Yeah, pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's very impressive. <laughs> and then we also have Patrick Latcham, who is the Vice President of Marketing and Sales for Telski. Thanks all for being here. Thanks for having us, Yeah, Julia. thanks for having us. Thank you. Uh, as a reminder to listeners, this is a call-in program. So if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for the folks who are in the studio, give us a call, 970-728-4333. We'll bring you up on the air. We're just going to start with the big announcement that we got about an hour ago, which is that y'all are pushing opening day by a week or two, depending on how the weather goes. So let's talk about it. Pass that out to y'all. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we all just met and made a decision collectively with the Telski team just based on all the weather and conditions we're dealing with right now. And so we're delaying the opening till December 2nd or December 8th. And we're going to make the the final call on that on November 27th. So the thought process there is, you know, we don't want to set a date and then have to push it back again. We want to be transparent with everyone that, you know, we're not exactly sure what the weather holds 10 days from now. And um, and that's what's going to really impact our decision is is what the weather holds. And But we will be able to make that final decision on November 27th. Um, and at the moment, we just haven't had the, you know, the cold enough temperatures, especially during the day. Um, we've, we've had some of them at night and our snowmaking teams taking full advantage of those. And, um, and our snowmaking system is, you know, it's amazing the amount of snow we've made and that it was even a close call, honestly. And, um, but we are where we are just do with, you know, it's been 55 yeah, <laughs> during the day here. It's been summer Why, during the day. You can't make snow at 55? <laughs> no. I'm wearing a t-shirt. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so for folks in town, I don't think anyone is necessarily going to be, like, shocked by by that announcement. You just, you look up at the mountain and there's, given best attempts, there's no snow <laughs> up there hardly. What is, so obviously that is, like, a big piece of it, but what kind of things are you talking about when you're when you're making this decision of how far do we push it back? Can we make enough snow? Like, what are the types of things that, what are those conversations like to, to make, come to that final decision? <clears throat> Great question. Um, essentially, we're striving to meet a standard we've established from what we collectively feel like over the past 10 years, which is a, you know, a, a wall-to-wall product from the top of four to the bottom of four, and a wall-to-wall product from the top of one to the bottom of one is our traditional opening scenario. Uh, with that, you know, there's 
a tremendous amount of effort involved in snowmaking. We all understand that. There's the hopeful factor of Mother Nature providing the natural snowfall. Um, but it's not just snowmaking and natural snow that opens resorts. There's, wow, there's so many other moving parts that are really hard to describe on the top of my head. But just after leaving the meeting today, you know, it takes Ski Patrol a couple days to set up a top to bottom run safely on four. Yeah. That's just four. It probably takes a certain amount of time, if not equal, to get the meadows safely secured and and signed and roped off to ski safely and, you know, with a general level of satisfaction to the bottom. Um, it be, Before that, our trails crew has to get on the snow and condition the, the artificial snow surface. No, not just once. It's beyond pushing it out. It's, you know, well, even to backtrack, you know, we've got to let the snow piles leach for at least 24 hours, if not longer, for the quality of the artificial snow to to really to achieve its its optimal performance per se um yeah and then the you know the trail crew gets on it pushes it out and then has to do multiple different different pushes to get to the level by which we can groom it and artificial snow and natural snow are quite different as far as water content is concerned i think everyone understands that so it takes time yeah and with that we have a question Hi, you're live on Kodo. Hi, you're live on Kodo. Uh, yes. Oh, and actually, if you don't mind turning your radio down in the background. Okay. Yeah. Still talking. I'm surprised I'm live. Um, so anyway, anyway, um, we've had so many years where we get nixed off um, and lose the beginning of the season. Uh, why can't we keep the gondola open and uh, ski nine at the end of the season when oftentimes there's great snow? Um, we'd much rather have that. Thanks for your question. We were actually, to some extent, just talking about that before we hopped on the airwaves. Why, why is the season the days and months that it is? Why couldn't we potentially push it later starting and then push it later at the end of the year? I have a comment on that. I think I think it's because it's in people's heads. The industry forever has been Thanksgiving to Easter. And in order to change that, it would take, I think, an industry-wide push, you know, media-wise, information-wise, to say, look, you know, here's the reality, especially with global warming. Let's start December 15th and quit April 15th, April whatever. But that's what it would take. It wouldn't be just one single ski area. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to happen, I think. I don't know. I mean, for a lot of years, Jackson Hole never opened until the earliest was December 10th. And between the 10th and the 15th. And then, for some reason, they went along with the rest of the industry and, and opened at Thanksgiving now. Which, you know, it doesn't really put much of a quality product out there. Over the years, you know, the, the times we've opened at Thanksgiving on Great Snow has been really minimal. Really minimal. But anyway, that's just my opinion. Yeah, and I think those are really good points, Sako, and I certainly agree. And, you know, just to 
to also add to that, you know, a big part is we're, we're such a remote resort that we can't make these decisions as on the fly as some other resorts that have a big drive market right next to them. You know, all the folks near Salt Lake City or Denver, they have a massive drive market and they stay open and people are skiing there and um, and that, that works for them. Whereas here, um, all of our flight access, our air access cuts off on that date and it requires a lot of planning. Not to be said that that, that can't happen down the line and I think those conversations should happen um, in regards to kind of shifting this season to, to match the weather patterns, to take advantage of that snowfall. And, and those conversations are starting to happen, which is good. Um, but the reason we can't, yeah, just do it on the fly is the, the remote destination and um, just not really having enough people to ski it. When you think, I mean, so maybe the end of the season is a little bit harder to, to push how do you think about, and I'm not like advocating for, let's just always start later, but you know, there's maybe been more, more times over the past few years. I think what this is maybe third or third since 20. Yeah. That, um, we've had to push the, the opening date. So Patrick, to your point of not wanting to, you know, leave people in a lurch or, you know, make people think something, has there been discussion of like, maybe Thanksgiving just doesn't work for us. Let's just, kind of as the standard push it back a little bit to the beginning of December, beginning mid-December. Yeah, and they're, you know, they're really early stage conversations, but once you're in your third year in a row um, and other ones in the last five years, it's certainly worth having those conversations. And, you know, on top of being a remote resort, another hurdle we have is our our tradition and culture of spring break. You know, we have, um, you know, a small, tight community and our teachers, our students, you know, a lot of our work, everyone who works here enjoys taking off and, and totally checking out. And that's that's a factor, too. And something that has come up during these conversations. And like I said, they're in early stage and, and certainly worth exploring more. Sako, I'm going to just go to you for story time. <laughs> I asked before we got on the air. So you've been with the resort for uh, 51 years now, as we just mentioned. But what is the the latest or the best lack of snow year that you remember? Well, I, as I told you earlier, the the latest, the second season we were open. The first the first season it dumped, and it it dumped so much that we opened late because there was too much snow because we had to get the lifts tested and all that, and we all thought we died and went to heaven. You know, the next year, the next season, which would have been seventy three, seventy four it started to snow on December 22nd. And there was no <laughs> snowmaking. Okay. Wow. Yeah, and that was like, whoa, we are in Southern Colorado. What did we just do? <laughs> <laughs> it's but, like 2012. You know, yeah, all the rest of them kind of blur together, but I really remember that. I remember that second one was, I mean, it was 50 degrees, you know, in December. So, and, and that was all natural snow. Of course, that was before snowmaking. So, there you go. Yeah. Sako Carson was talking about it in terms of what it takes, you know, even once the snow is there, whether it's natural or artificial. What does it look like from Ski Patrol's perspective to get a run ready to go so it is able to open for folks to be able to ski down it? You know, for us, it's mostly marking you know, in closing off terrain that's not safe. You know, people, locals, you know, I'm talking, when I say people, it's local people that think, oh, you just throw it open. It's not the way it works. 
you have to be really uh, aware of the fact that people can get severely injured, you know, and going in places where they, they're used to be, you know, they're used to having good snow and stuff. And then, you know, there's also avalanche danger, and which is a big part of the ski area. Um, you know, we, we had last, last year, we, we had a couple guys caught go for some pretty substantial rides. And that's, um, it's pretty frightening. You know, you don't, and no one got injured. No one got, you know, totally buried, but it was, it was pretty intense. And it, it just, it, it, it's like Carson said, there's so much involved with opening terrain from other departments, from us that it, it's just a whole lot of work and it just takes time, you know, and, and being around here this long and listening to locals moaning, you know, about why isn't this, why isn't that? It's just, there's a whole lot more involved than people know, period. That's just it, you know. What is the grumble that you hear most often that just makes your eyes roll the hardest? <laughs> This is all he's going to be like, this hour is now, Sako, tell me. All. No. <laughs> uh, I, there's just a whole a whole uh, plethora of stuff, you know, like, just, yeah, why isn't this open? Why isn't that open? And it's not even worth explaining. You know, I just, like, because we said so. Ski yeah. <laughs> patrol saving You know, and, that, and that's what they think anyway. So, <laughs> no, I, you know, it's it, it's just, like I said, there's just so much involved that people don't see and don't know about. And, and we, you know, our, our job is to provide skiing as fast and as quickly as we can, but it has to be safe. And um, that's our job, and that's what we try to do. You know, what I, what I loved last year with, with No Lift 9, where people were, Am I allowed to say bitching on the phone? On, well, you just did. But, <laughs> good, good but, anyway, <laughs> but anyway, people moaning about lift nine not open, you know. And then when once we got the terrain open and people were were skiing it, then when it came time for the they lift to open, open, they were yeah, exactly right. <laughs> it was like, why are you opening it? This skiing is so good, you know. But that anyway, yeah, it is what it is. That was a special time. It was. I felt like we were going back in time, and we were, and uh, getting to experience something that you know some of us, you know, newbies per se, never well, got to experience. Yeah, you know, the, I get to hear you talk about it, and Jack D'Angelo and, yeah. and Nani. You know, I, I spend a lot more time with the ski school folks than I do the patrollers, but yeah. getting to do it, I was, man, it was inspirational. Yeah, I really liked. It was great. There were some laps out there I did top to bottom. And didn't see a single person. <laughs> yeah. You know, just kind of like, hello. <laughs> I am here by myself. <laughs> In the quality of snow. The skiing yeah. was phenomenal. Yeah. And that was good. So, but we are going to reopen, right? Yeah. Chair 9 is going to open this year. I, I think. Well, it's funny you bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a poll. <laughs> uh, speaking of terrain opening, so obviously, you know, folks know that the mountain opens um, progressively throughout the winter. So when this opening day does come, whether it's the 2nd or the 8th, what is going to open from the jump? And then kind of what is the, the process for how things will continue to open throughout the season? To start, it will be, you know, our, our goal is the traditional uh Top of four to bottom of four, which is going to be village bypass to lower boomerang. We'll we'll you know strive to mix in upper misty maiden in that in that 
in that opening scenario. Um, you know, both the magic carpets uh, for ski school, um, you know, the one there at the Gondola Plaza and the other learning carpet right there at the top of chair one next to the Peaks Trail. And then the meadows, right, um, from top to top of one to bottom of one. And then also, you know, we'll, we'll strive to also open uh, double cabins from the gondola parking garage so you can park and access the mountain from the parking garage to the bottom of one. That would be as much I feel like that we could open on the second, um, depending on how the temperatures transpire from here until then could be more i wouldn't say it would be much more um you know mother nature and natural snowfall always helps we haven't had a whole lot of that uh and then the eighth scenario would be probably a little bit different from based on our conversations with snowmaking and trails crew and um you know all the other stakeholders in mountain operations that we do feel like if we if we punted to the eighth and we make that decision on the 27th and you know fortunately like like lift Lift pods like chair five don't take a whole lot of a whole lot of love to really get open, you know, so that we could potentially see a, a more robust opening if we punt to the eighth. But we also understand the demand and we want to, you know, we, we definitely want to want to focus on getting, you know, pass holders and anyone who's dedicated their 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 time, energy, money to visiting Telluride. So if we can get the second, we'll do that. Uh, but if not the eighth could be a little bit more robust. And then a question that somebody did ask me, which I think is always often or is often the question, is the front of the mountain going to be open for Christmas? That's always our goal. <laughs> I mean, operationally speaking, when it's not open for Christmas, it's really challenging. Uh, mostly in the form of, of flowing people off the mountain safely and in a timely fashion. So we, we, I mean, we all know our, our, our friends and colleagues over at TMV Transit really love having the front side of the mountain open. Otherwise, the gondola is heavily impacted for downhill access and egress in the town. Um, but yeah, our, that's always one of our primary goals and objectives is to have ski access and egress from the top of Coonskin Ridge down into town by, by the holidays for sure. Coda listeners, you are listening to Off the Record. We're talking with Patrick Latcham, Carson Taylor, and Sako about Telski. If you have any questions, give us a call 970-728-4333. Speaking of the front side of the mountain, there was um, a pretty substantial mudslide around Chair 7 this summer. Um, what is the um, mitigation on, on that issue looking like right now and will that have an impact or will that change anything about how that area skis this year um yeah happy to share that that project's totally wrapped up and and also just want to be clear that you know issue that we had there didn't play any impact in our delayed opening here um it wasn't a distraction for our team you know they were working on that during the summer when we weren't worried about snowmaking at all um so i did just want to make sure that was clear that you know, the, the mishap we had over there didn't impact our opening. This was purely based on weather. Um, and then with that said, that slope is stabilized. You know, our, our team's been working, they worked around the clock on that to, to stabilize that slope via a couple different methods. And um, so we feel really good about where it is now. And it is, you know, it obviously looks different. And if anything, I think it's going to ski better. Uh, it's going to kind of open up the, that top 
part of Stumper, um, clearing out some brush, rocks, things like that. Um, so I think it's going to be a fun feature. Um, you know, I know some people are really excited to kind of even launch it over there and not saying you should do that, but <laughs> it's, um, you know, I think it's going to be, you know, as far as from a skier perspective, it's going to be nice. It'll just kind of open it up a bit. I know where my line's going to be. <laughs> right? Sako's, you know, he's eyeing it out. And I think like a lot of the people are looking up at that. Like I'm excited to kind of check that out. And obviously we wish that didn't happen, but here we are and, you know, glass is half full. Are there any other spaces on the mountain where there's any, you know, glading, tree tree removal stuff that will kind of be shifting the terrain a little bit, shifting how people are able to ski different runs? Yeah. um, We've been doing some work on Chair 9, specifically like um, near the bottom of the Chair 9 terminal. Um, We've cleared out a good amount from that. And so people will be able to kind of poke in and out of those trees, cleared out some brush and other things too to allow it so we don't need as high of a base in order to kind of go in there. Um, And then that's going to be the... I want to say skiers right um, as you're skiing down there. That'll be the area you see. And then on that front, also just kind of want to use this as a quick PSA. We're going to be doing a controlled burn um, this Thursday and most likely Saturday and Sunday, taking care of some of that that logging and things that we've been clearing. We have two burn piles, one at the bottom of nine and one at in the chair five area. Um, we're working with the U.S. Forest Service and on a controlled burn there. So people may see some smoke there as a result of some of the clearing and glading that we've been doing uh, this over the next week. That's all that skier's right zone, the re- right of the reduction chamber, right? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be cool. Nice. When, Sokka, when you're thinking about, like, especially if there's new terrain that's skiing differently or things that, um, you know, like maybe a really fun fast line (laughs) down um, towards the base of seven, you know, I guess also from like a PSA safety perspective, what are things that you, you know, if there's areas that people are skiing that they've never skied before or are like new to being able to be skied in the way they are, how should people be approaching those spaces? I mean, you know, just ski within your ability. You know, I, I, from a patrol standpoint, this is my own opinion. I think the ski movies these days have a lot to do with the way that younger people are skiing, basically straight. You know, when when you watch people skiing in Alaska and you watch people skiing, you know, they're going straight and leaping off cliffs, and you know, which is all fine and good. But you can't do that when you have one run open on the mountain. Okay. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> you know, or even multiple runs, you know, it's 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 I understand, you know, where they're coming from, but it's it I think it's really changed the safety aspect of skiing. Collisions are horrific. There are no winners in a collision. Period, period, period. And it changes people's lives. And I, I just wish that that wasn't quite the way it is, but it's just my opinion, too, you know. It's just, I love watching those movies. But do you see anybody in front of them? <laughs> the people that are skiing the chutes and the sloughs and, you know. And and that's just my opinion, you know. I just, that's the one thing that upsets me about what's going on, you know. You want to see a ski movie where people are taken... Nice, big, wide turns. Well, or just turning. <laughs> 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 okay. 
you know, anybody can go straight. Turning's the hard part, but anyway. As someone who doesn't like to go very fast, and I don't often, you know, just like tips down, it makes me feel like, oh my gosh, am I skiing really well? There you go. <laughs> I'm <are>. turning. You're <laughs> in control. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we mentioned Lift 9 a little bit, and, you know, maybe the... We're starting the rumor here that it's never going to reopen. Um, we're not that we're not starting that rumor um, on the news. But there there are a number. I mean, in kind of tied in with nine um, with Giuseppe's and the like and other capital projects. What are what are some of these other bigger things that Telski has going on? Kind of in in the docket. Whether it's things that are going to come to fruition this year or maybe kind of be a little bit further down the pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, the big project this last summer was a lot of the work on Giuseppe's, um, you know, and there's, I know people are really curious about that, and I'm excited for everyone to see it. It's, um, we just got that structure and closed, so people will be seeing it this winter. We won't be able to dine in there this winter, however. Um, it's, you know, I think everyone's used to construction having some issues, and those are those are amplified when you're constructing something at 11,000 feet. Um so that's going to be opening up next winter, but everyone will be able to see it. I mean, it's really going to be a, a huge enhancement um, with a lot more indoor and outdoor dining um, that I think everyone's going to enjoy for, for decades to come. So excited for folks to check that out and appreciate everyone's patience while it's worked on. Um, but that's that's certainly a massive undertaking for this last summer. Um, you know, the other things were the collating projects, which we just recently touched on, and on top of that, there was also a snow fence installed on the Mammoth Ridge that's going to help us just retain and keep some snow up there and avoid the wind from blowing that away. Um, so some little projects like that around the mountain on top of the big one being Giuseppe's. Flush toilets? Um, yes. Everywhere. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and that's... Um, what a concept. Yeah, and it's going to have it's gonna have two levels. and um, Two levels of toilets. Yeah. It's going to be a double-decker. Just for you, Sako. Yeah. Your, your White Throne Palace. And it's, but yeah, the lower level of you know, toilets, and um, and then the upper level, just kind of more the, the dining, seating, mm-hmm. and things like that. Sweet. You know, I'll speak I'm on behalf of some of, the, yeah. some of the retail side of things that aren't necessarily always included in CapEx conversations. But, you know, we had a substantial undertaking, overtaking, per se, of um, Telluride Sports, right? So we uh, successfully deployed, what was it, three this summer in the form of summer uh, rental and retail uh, in Mountain Village. And this winter, they're going to add two more to those, to that allocation, so five total. So there was a tremendous amount of effort, work, et cetera, involved in getting Telluride Sports live and operational for summer operations. And then we had to go through a similar process. We, as in not me, but other people at the resort, uh, you know, our IT team and the and the folks that, that work in the Telluride Sports retail and rental department, you know, they've, they've accomplished a lot of goals in a short amount of time. And from what I can tell, there are they're jazzed. They're ready to go, and and it's going to be, I think, a good, a good new wrinkle to the resort operation as a whole. Having, I mean, we worked really well with 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 our partners uh, for for many years that you know Vail operated those those locations. But it's cool to 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 have that real direct connectivity now and and operate on the same playing field and 
we're stoked. I think they are too. And um, that was a tremendous amount of effort that took, uh, I mean, it's even hard to put in words, honestly, the amount of IT work involved in connecting all those dots, dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's and connecting all the cords and making sure these computers work for for everyone who comes in and rents boots, skis, poles, snowboards, helmets, goggles, sells, you know, they sell everything on the planet in there. So that took a lot of time. And so far it's been really successful and kudos to the crew that's that's committed to make it work and come to light. I'm glad to see it back in Telski to tell you the truth. So when was the last time it was in Telski's hands? I mean, I don't know, but maybe you do. Sacco oh. was three years old. <laughs> <laughs> no, at some point in time after Ron and Jim took over. Okay. So probably around 1980, maybe in the late 70s, I don't know. And I, I always wondered why they did that. Maybe they were strapped for cash, I don't know. I don't know. Usually it comes down to money. Yeah, it always does. It always does. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I never quite understood that one. But maybe at the time it was just too much for them to undertake with, you know, with everything they were doing. So I don't know. I really don't. If you do know and you're listening, <laughs> give us a call, 970-728-4333. Or if you have another question or comment you'd like to share with these folks, um, talking about other projects that do cost large sums of money. Um, obviously, Chair 9, just in, in the last year, people are always wondering, right, about Chair 7, Chair 10, other ones that maybe should or could someday get replaced. I know that Chair 10 is something that has been talked about of maybe even putting some sort of like gondola system in there, putting ski school at the top of 10. Where are those conversations? What's going on there? I don't you know, know, I'd say they're very much so still conversational. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we we uh, have prioritized those chairlifts as the next big CapEx projects on the mountain. Chair 7 um, wouldn't be prioritized over Chair 10. Chair 10 has become a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a conundrum, but yeah, because we've brought up the, the idea of gondola connectivity to the existing transfer station or would be a transfer station there at at um at town um uh, town hall and mountain village that inherently causes more i wouldn't say complications but more dynamics to the process uh multiple stakeholders uh, a lot more money um so yeah we're hopeful that that will get those balls across the goal line in the near term but at this point they remain under study and conversational Mm-hmm. All right. We have someone, I think, on the line. Hi, you're live on Kodo. Yeah. Hey, um, I know, or at least I've heard, that there's some new, like, portable automated snowmaking uh, systems that they can move around the mountain. And I'm wondering, are they going to be able to move it on Chair 10 and put it underneath all the bridges and things and uh, possibly use a town of Mountain Village water? Thanks for your question. Yeah, so we do have some, we really have a state-of-the-art snowmaking system. Um, it's, you know, where you have Wi-Fi, solar power, all these things that are going on and, and these different automations that allow us to fully capitalize when we do have these cold nights. 
and it is it is mobile and it allows us to kind of turn things on a dime after we take care of these like the core runs that we were talking about opening earlier because um, right now a lot of things are stationary or we're, we're kind of and that and not being open allows us to keep them stationary and that's one of the reasons too with just having to have the delay if we opened up these runs we would have to take out so much of the snow making equipment and then it really reduces our ability to make snow in these areas um, once we open them um and then but yes we do have a nimble and state-of-the-art snowmaking system which will help us in the in that chair 10 area and um which is you know exciting and um you know it's it, yeah happy to see that how do you you know we talked about obviously like that main corridor is the first piece to open um and then front side of the mountain is a priority obviously in terms of egress and the like but how do you when you are having to focus a lot on snow making to open up these runs how are you prioritizing where you're you're setting those to kind of progressively open acres well we we really should have talked brandon into coming online with this because yeah. he's he's the snow making scientist he's got all this stuff in the back of his head he can spit off answers to these kinds of questions like he, like he walks down the street. Like it's his job. Like it's his job. <laughs> um, we how, tried to get him, but he's working tonight. For yeah, some he's, reason. <laughs> he's busy making snow. Uh, I think the best way that I could approach that question is that we prioritize um, flow on the mountain as it pertains to how we position our snowmaking. It's a lot more complicated than that when it comes down to really water pressure and how much gallons we could feed in these various zones. I've become a little bit more knowledgeable on this in the past few years, but I still don't have the same breadth of knowledge that Brandon does, and I'm not even going to pretend to spit anything off here because um, it would just not be accurate. Um, but yeah, we prioritize customer flow to ensure that we avoid as many choke points as possible to spread out our volume of skiers on the mountain um, as reasonably as possible so we can have a great experience and ski as safely down the hill as possible. Perfect. We have another caller. Hi, you're live on Kodo. Hi there. Good evening. Hi. Do you have um, a question? Good. Yes, I do. Um, just curious, um, losing a kind of cornerstone guy like Scott Pittenger, have there has there been anybody kind of eyed to replace him, or um, how is that going to move forward? Because I know he kind of, especially in the early season and getting things open, he was kind of coordinating a lot of moving parts, and uh, just kind of yeah, curious how that's going to go down. Thanks for your question. Yeah, I mean, just kind of expanding on that, there have been several kind of higher level folks who have left over the more recent time how is telski kind of working through that what will that have an impact on on how the season runs yeah absolutely i'll jump in there for a little bit um you know on the scott pittenger one it's that's not someone you can just replace you know that he is a wealth of knowledge and was with the resort 15 plus years i think it was 18 and um i mean he knew the mountain inside and out and it's um he's certainly missed but simultaneously we're all just really happy and excited for him in this next chapter and stoked that he's staying here locally he's got a great job with the town of mountain village um so very happy and pleased there and then as we go into this ski season you know like we had a very productive meeting today it's not like we're sitting there freaking out you know oh my god what are we gonna do without scott and that's because we just have so many good leaders 
you know, operations is so multifaceted. You got ski patrol, you got snowmaking, lift maintenance, lift ops, guest services, and you have all these different people. And at the top of each of those departments, we do have great leaders. And, um, and because of that, I still feel confident going into this ski season. Um, and, you know, working on a replacement for Scott is it's something that's certainly in the works. And, um, but also, it's not just doom and gloom because we do have a, a, an amazing team. Yeah, and to elaborate, it you know it hasn't it hasn't been ideal, right? As far as the past few months or year or two years are concerned, seeing the um, just the change in in staff, the change in faces, you know. I mean, it, it breaks your heart to see really good friends decide to make a decision to to leave the town, maybe, and even go somewhere else, or or leave the resort and do something else locally. Um, you know, 15 plus, 20 plus, you know, 30, 40, 51 years 50, over here. 50 plus. Um, 50 plus. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It's something that, that we've, we've done our best to deal with on a day-to-day basis. You know, we've, you know our ski school director decided to, to, to move on with his family, and, and uh, we were successful in, in recruiting an internal candidate for that. So we have the ski school director role filled. Um, wasn't easy. It was a, you know, a, I think we went through about 10 different candidates, you know, and all were very well qualified and great conversations. The, the amount of commitment and passion and dedication to that ski school is phenomenal. Uh, we, and we have, we have a great candidate, you know, who, who, who's going to take the ski school and move forward and progress it. Um, the ski patrol director, you know, he, yeah. he resigned. He retired, really. He, he, yeah, basically. He, he met his commitment, you know. He did. You know, he committed to 10 years, and he did his 10 yeah. years. And uh, and uh, Ian stepping up is, I think, a really uh, perfect choice. Totally. And, you know, he was the assistant. He knows how it runs. He's he's good. He listens to us. He listens to everybody. And uh, he's going to be real good. I mean, you know, one of these days, I'll be gone. What? No, no guys, way. Wait, this is off the record, right? <laughs> is this live? Off the record on the radio. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it, it all changes, and it's, you know, it, 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 there may be some, you know, uh, squeaks in the in the machinery in the, in the meantime, but, you know, it'll all work out. Like, you know, like Patrick said, there's, there's a lot of good people there, and they've been doing that job for a long time, so... It'll be interesting to see what happens uh, as far as Scott Scott Pittenger's uh, spot goes. You know, I think that uh, Scott Clements did a really good job, especially coming from the outside yeah. into a group like the Ski Patrol. Mm-hmm. Wow, <laughs> it blew me away, and he did well. And um, you know, um, you know, you know what he's going to do this winter. Well, I tried to recruit him to bus. sell lift tickets with us, he's, but he well, said no. No, he's going to drive. He's going to drive one of one of the uh, ski patrol vans back and forth to the clinic, and he is so looking forward to it. And we have some new vans, I believe. <laughs> yeah, we do three new vans. Didn't mention that on capital improvements yeah, yeah. earlier, but you know, yeah, we have some new vans there. Heated seats. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, and then also just you know, like those are all just such amazing people that dedicated and gave so much to the ski resort, which is something we're all just so grateful for. And another one was Patrick Berry. You know, he was with the company 15-plus years. It's crazy. He has a lifetime pass. He reminded me of that the other day. <laughs> and then, like, so how crazy is that, that we're going around, like, like the tenure of some of these folks is, like, super long. But, I mean, obviously all people that will be missed dearly and, 
you know, excited for Alexis Holdel and taking over in that position, um, which is, was an internal candidate. It's a yeah, it's it's a true bummer that the institutional knowledge is that has left the resort in the past, you know, call it six to twelve months is it's really a hard pill to swallow. Um, and we wish them nothing but the best in their in their new endeavors and what they're doing. And and fortunately, they're all still our friends, you know. And and uh, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, unfortunately, we have still a tremendous amount of institutional knowledge existing within the scope of the resort operations, whether it be administration, whether it be operations, whether it be whatever cog in the wheel. Um, there's a there's a plethora. <laughs> Of knowledge that still exists there. I guess, huh? I had to reuse that word. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> uh, anyway. You know, in other um, maybe tough pills for, for folks to swallow, maybe more from the from the local standpoint, you know, I think we have seen ticket prices and past prices going up over the years. You know, anecdotally, I've heard from folks who... So, you know, I've, I've bought a pass every year and I just can't swing it this year because it's getting too expensive. Are y'all having conversations or how are you thinking about, like, what can we do to make sure that the local folks who live here are actually able to ski their mountain? Yeah, that's a real big part of our conversations. You know, we, we talk about the various buckets, per se. You know, we have our 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 most dedicated, most passionate, most loyal customer bucket which basically falls within the scope of San Miguel County, our proximal drive markets, and even more, some of our more distal drive markets. You know, we don't have a real drive market here because we live in the western slope of Colorado, but we, we do refer to other distal markets as our drive market. So that's a big, that's one big, big bucket for us. You know, we have another bucket, which is really our, our destination, um, you know, FIT bucket, frequent, frequent independent travelers. So that's our retail guest. And then the third bucket, it's a much smaller bucket, but it's still a bucket that we 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 focus on. Not as much energy, not as much efforts, but it's our, call it miscellaneous um, guests in the form of international guests, in the form of group guests, in the form of folks who still choose to shop through wholesalers. Um, so those are our three primary segments. Um, yeah, we, we, <laughs> we spend the most time discussing and contemplating and... <laughs> I may be arguing over over <laughs> over the over the the, the local uh, bucket. You know, San Miguel County residents, southwestern Colorado, northern New Mexico, Arizona, for that matter. The, you know, our most our most loyal, dedicated clientele, and and you know, we we've done our best internally to to maintain a rate um, that's within scope of of palatability for transacting and buying a pass. We understand that the price of skiing is nowhere what it used to be. Um, and you use, you know, a fairly standard set of metrics to come up with decisions for, for pass pricing, for lift ticket pricing. Most of that hinges on our competitive set within the scope of destination ski resorts, you know, our primary competitive set that we, bounce all of our of our pricing decisions not all of our pricing decisions off of but what we do on serious research includes places like sun valley in idaho places like aspen here in colorado places like deer valley in utah um you know i would say you know jackson hole definitely is part of that competitive set um 
what has turned that comp set analysis up on its head over time has been the, you know, call it big ski corps that have come in and either acquired these resorts wholly and own them and operate them or have partnered with them um, in some form or fashion. So it's not as easy as it used to be. And, and um, <clears throat> yeah, we're, yeah, there, there's a lot of thought into that process and, and we, we understand there's a threshold. Yeah. Hey, we have, <clears throat> we have a caller. Hi, you're live on Kodo. Hi, this is Susie St. Ange. I was around when we started the ski program at the school and you guys are talking about prices now. And so I just wanted to call about some concerns. Oh, for what it costs for the Telluride school children to ski and get their lessons now. Um, Am I on the air right now? You are indeed. Okay. Um, it just seems like the, the, the families are really getting screwed out here. They, you know, that the, the prices for lessons and a pass used to be, you know, a couple hundred dollars, maybe 300 350 and it would go up every year. I understand prices go up, but now parents have to pay for a pass with blackout dates, and I just don't understand how those blackout dates make sense for for kids that are you know that their their vacations are all the blackout dates so they're buying a pass but they can't ski on christmas vacation or spring break or well spring break the area is closed but uh the president's day weekend where they have off school so i'm just really disappointed that the, the parents have to pay even a higher price in order for their kids to ski during Christmas after they've bought a pass. Thanks for your question. Thank you. I'll hang up now. <laughs> I think it's about the same question you asked me as far as pricing. Um, yeah, this the price of skiing across the board is more than it's ever been. Um <clears throat> And I, yeah, you know, I'm a parent. I have two kids. Fortunately, I work at the ski resort. That's part of my benefit package as far as compensation is concerned. So, but I have a lot of friends with families here locally that, that have to pay the, the, the local rate to, to ski, whether it be um, unlimited or limited passes. Yeah, we offer the, the blackout pass now for, for folks who may not be interested in skiing over the holidays. I understand how that translates to, to the school break calendar. Um, you know, we, we still offer, a, a, a from from my perspective, sitting here on the seat by myself on the radio, <laughs> a fairly competitive price for a ski PE program that offers, you know, all all uh, R1 school district students an opportunity to ski. The, the uh, Telluride Education Foundation uh, and the school district itself do a phenomenal job of raising funds for scholarships for, for kids in need. I think we had over 130 kids on that scholarship list this year. Um, we extend 20 complimentary ski passes on an annual basis to the ski PE scholarship program, uh, which doesn't cover every kid. Um, but there's, there's, um, there's some effort out there to help dampen the cost and, but yeah, I can't help but agree that, that skiing and the entry, entry point for skiing in Telluride in any community, you know, I just, I don't want to isolate Telluride for that matter. Uh, is much more steep than it used to be. Yeah, and I'll echo and say, you know, I agree with that. And, 
you know, last year those those um, children, young adult, those season passes, they went up like two to three percent, which is less than a lot of our comp set. Um, and the and we do have those programs like the Development Squad and Ski PE and Comets, which are a pretty amazing value, um, especially compared to group lessons and private lessons and things like that. Um, and but you know, I'll also say I agree, and, and that there we don't want a barrier to entry, especially with our local community here. Yeah, Koto listeners. <clears throat> oh, I keep getting a frog in my throat. Um, we have just a few more minutes left on the hour, so if you have any final burning questions for our guests here, please give us a call nine seven zero seven two eight four three three three. We've kind of been talking some of the harder questions in the last few minutes so let's end with some joy <laughs> um which you probably won't tell me to my satisfaction because you all have your secrets but um what what are some of the the runs once the resort fully opens um that maybe are secret spots i assume you won't tell me those ones um or tell the radio <laughs> those ones but what are some of the like these are runs that you should be checking out. These are areas of the mountain that are really special that if you don't check out, like make it, maybe give them a try. I think it changes for me year to year, honestly. I feel like I get tunnel vision on certain zones of the mountain. And, and the mountain's so big, it's so vast, and there's so many different components to each little chair pod or each each little zone that you can hike to that mine changes like annually i feel like and i think it's changing for me personally too because of my kids and like how they interact with the mountain and what they want to do which has also been very inspirational and exciting to to experience their energy and what they want to achieve on the mountain so last year man i feel like i had to skied all the long mogul runs like over and over with with my nine-year-old which which was challenging um, but, but, you know, like doing like the Christmas tree shoots, like that's, that's one of the things that Vaughn was just like stoked on. He's like, dad, what about this right here? He's like, no one knows about this run. And I'm you're right. No one knows about the Christmas tree shoots. He's like, why do they call it that? I was like, cause it looks like Christmas trees all the way down, you know? Um, but those are really fun runs, especially if you get them first, right? Um, yeah. that's just one little I'm not going to give you guys any of my secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the, the other two next, but we have a call first. Ooh. Hi, you're live on Kodo. Hey, how's it going? Good. I had a question go here. Am I, am I live? You are. So how has ownership impacted all these decisions we've been talking about tonight and the reality that many of these key leadership positions and people have left? Thanks for your question. You know, I think that's just a, a question that's best for for those people and individuals. I don't necessarily want to speak on their behalf, but I will say that, you know, they did have opportunities that they were excited to kind of help round out their future and their careers. All right. We have another call as well. Hi, you're live on Kodo. Hello. Um, I just wanted to inquire and maybe suggest um, – it seems like years ago they used to have a variety of passes available. Like they had a merchant's pass for 
that was available for people that live and work here. And I just wonder if they couldn't bring back some different path options to make it more affordable for some of the locals that are struggling to do what they love. You know, they work here and they make the town run, but they don't get to ski as much. And I'm going to hang up and listen to your response. Thanks for your question. That's another question for me. (laughs) There you go, Carson. Uh, Great question. Uh, There, you know, variety of passes in the Merchant Pass. The Merchant Pass is still very much so an an option for local businesses to participate in. You know, it's all it's all really formatted on what type of business you may own and or operate, and for your staff. So. My best advice for anyone interested in the Merchant Pass program, if you're a, a business owner um, or part, or work for a local business, is if you're a business owner, uh, contact Colorado Flights Alliance, and they will give you all the information therein regarding Merchant Pass options. If you happen to be employed by a local business, then the suggestion would be to ask your direct report manager to see what Merchant Pass options may be available for that business. Um, yeah, otherwise, a variety of passes, you know, there's, I guess, not 51, but going on 19 years working in the same building. Uh, yeah, our, it goes by our, fast. <laughs> our, uh, our options of pass products for, you know, all the various buckets I referred to earlier um, has actually expanded over time. Uh, we've, 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 we've added some flavor to the multi-day pass options in the form of that three-day pass. The T-card, six-day and 10-day pass, I feel like I've been here for a very long time, definitely before I started working here. And all the various other full-season pass products more or less operate in the same form and fashion they have, albeit at different prices. I'm not going to argue that. Um, and then, you know, we added the we added the, the layer of the restricted passes versus the unrestricted passes a few years ago. Um, and that was, you know, in an effort to help manage what we what we felt like were volumes on the ski resort during peak times that were that were um, creating for a, you know an adverse customer experience as a whole. Got it. We have one more call that we're going to take before the end of the hour. Hi, you're live on Kodo. Hi. Um, I was calling to see if you guys had any information on the park that was going to be in the at the ski season this year, like if. We're going to have one opening day and whether it's going to have jumps or not, because I know last year we were lacking some features, and I was just wondering uh, if you guys had any information on that. Thanks for your call. Yeah, it's kind of hard to speak on behalf of terrain parks and mountain operations without them being present. However, um, as far as I know, the traditional approach at opening our our terrain parks will be in play this winter. Um start start small and then progress to the bigger features as as terrain permits as snow making as terrain parks um in their in their general efforts on getting things open to the public transpire i'm gonna ask a question that's gonna make it so clear that i've never been inside one of those (laughs) before do the features change year here or is it they can like move stuff around and zhuzh yeah yeah they 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 essentially come up with a kind of their own design on a on a regular. I mean, I think there's some, like the lower hoop brown park. I think is pretty, 
pretty standard. Yeah. I think it has a pretty pretty traditional setup year over year. Um, I think that what they do in the Ute, the Ute Train Park area um, changes depending on. I think it also has, to, especially in Ute Park, it has to do with how much natural snow we have up there because there's no snow making at that point or at that at, at that area of the mountain. Um, and then the the upper upper Hoot Terrain Park is very dynamic in nature, and and what they decide to do there seems to be, you know, up to the the whoever's designing the course for that matter. Or the lines. I mean, I don't spend a whole lot of time in the train park either anymore. I'm not good in the train park. Your knees have aged out. I've yeah, I've <laughs> repaired one, and the other one hurts all the time. <laughs> we are actively into Pow Surf Radio's um, hour, so I'm just gonna give. I still want to hear from Patrick and Asako. Maybe not your secret locations, but maybe some some areas that you're excited uh, to ski this year. You think folks should check out? Yeah, you know, I'll I'll share one of my secrets because no. it's Don't I think it. it's a it's a popular go to. It's Mammoth Fingers, and then traversing over to Satisfaction Trees, and then hitting Lower Plunge, and it's I mean I just feel like that run keeps going, and it is such a leg burner, and you get so much vertical, and um, so I'm very excited to do that. And then I'm also, I got my three-and-a-half-year-old. I'm excited to ski with him, and I'm excited for him to be in development squad on Saturdays and to ski with my wife and uh, to just do some cruisers with her. So looking forward to that. Basically what I really like is all the hike-to stuff. It's, uh, you know, it's always a challenge. Um, I can still hike it, which makes me feel good. And um, it's some great terrain. It's all over there. You know, it's tons of secret spots. But uh, that, that's what I love. Yeah. I'm going to reuse um, another one of your words. It's bitching. <laughs> <laughs> so, plus, at this age, I'm allergic to bumps. So, anyway. <laughs> when does that come about? I could use some of that allergy. <laughs> I think it shippers with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that is, we are over time, but Carson Sacco and Patrick, are there any final closing thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners before we take off this evening? Get out there, get some turns in, and have fun. Let's hope El Nino favors us. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Let's go. Where are you? Donde? El Nino. Spanish for the Nino. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Um, well, Patrick Lantram, Sako, and Carson Taylor from Telski, thank you all so much for being here this evening. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in, especially those who called in. We so appreciate hearing your thoughts and questions. We'll be back next week with more Off the Record. And, of course, we'll have news tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Off the Record. Opinions expressed on this show are those of our guests. Join us again next week for another installment. And in the meantime, drop us a line at news at koto.org with feedback and ideas. Oh, you, you.